Um, before I get into the message, though, I did want to, uh, I wanna, want us to pray together corporately. As, as all of you, I'm sure, know, uh, there is a conflict going on in, in Ukraine right now. And, um, you know, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine. And the Bible is very clear that we are part of the body of Christ, that when we have brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter if they're 5,000 miles away, it still affects us as a body. And that when the Bible says when one rejoices, we're to rejoice, but when they grieve, we're to grieve with them too. We are to stand together with them. And I've had multiple emails and calls this week of people that have connections in the Ukraine of other ministries that are in the middle of all of this fighting. In fact, um, our own denomination has some churches in the Ukraine, and there's one, uh, a couple pastors I know that are actually evacuating them out today to over to Poland uh, for their own safety. And um, there's a ministry uh, in our denomination that runs a couple orphanages right there in the Ukraine that they're having to get the kids in bomb shelters and get them safe, hundreds of kids. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very tough situation. And um, our own Brian Pittman, his brother is involved with some ministries that are over there. He's not there himself, but he's connected to some ministries there that um, are having to deal with this conflict, this, this war, really, that's broken out. And uh, it's just a horrible, horrible situation. And we just, we just believe that, that God can be glorified even in the midst of this. You know, you're not going to hear about that on the news. But for God's people, he promises us that what the enemy meant for harm, he will turn for his, our good. And so we need to stand with them. We're gonna, I want to pray together. Uh, we, you know, we have a missions fund here at the church that many of you give to consistently that uh, that we use to support world missions and local outreach missions too. And we're going to, as a church, we're going to sow seed into a couple of those ministries just to help them. Because obviously when you're evacuating people, that costs money too. And uh, so we are going to do that. I just want you to know that. I mean, if you want to give that to that today, you can, but we're going we're gonna to sow seed either way because we just believe in that. And uh, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. So we're going to support the ministry and the work that's going on over there uh, in the midst of this. But uh, we want to pray together and just lift these people up. In fact, there's a pastor friend of mine that called me this week that uh, a man on his worship team that helps he plays the bass, I think, for him. He, he's Ukrainian. He spends half of his time in Ukraine and half here. And he just happened to go over there a few weeks ago, right before this started. And he's not able to get out because they're making the, the 16 to 60 year olds join the civilian militias. So he's there. He's stuck there, had to join the militia. And his wife and kid are here in Evans. So his name's Alex. We want to pray for him too. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and let's just pray together. There's power in corporate prayer. Amen. And uh, we should be lifting the, the, this country up and the people in this country and the Russian Christians too, lifting them up that God would uh, be with them and help them during this time. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord. We bind our hearts together today. We thank you, God, that there is no distance in prayer, that even though it's 5,000 miles away, you are there and you are here, Lord. And we, we thank you for that. We know that you hear our prayers and we know that you can move on behalf of our brothers and sisters over in the Baltic area. God, we pray today that you would watch over them, that you would protect our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that you would put a hedge of thorns around them, Father God. That Lord, we pray for miracles, testimonies to come out of this season, Father, that will, that will grow your church, that will expand your kingdom, and that will bring glory to your name. God, we thank you today that we know that you are faithful in the midst of trials, we trust you, Lord. God, I pray you would put it on our hearts to lift these people up, even after this moment, God, as the weeks go forward, God, that we would lift them up to you. Father, we pray for Alex, that you would keep him safe, that you would bring him back home to his wife and child. We pray, God, that you would be sovereign in this time in a powerful way, God. Lord, we thank you 
that this does not change who you are. Lord, we pray that, that the Christians there, they would be strengthened in their faith. Lord, we know that faith often grows in times of trial and tribulation. So would you strengthen them, Lord? We pray for all these orphans, Lord, that you would protect them, that you, God, that this would be a time that, would, that would, your, your faithfulness would be evident in the midst of this season. Lord, we just pray for our brothers and sisters, God, your blessing, your anointing, your protection. We pray that they would even be able to share their faith even in this time, Lord God, and that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done just as it is in heaven. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Praise God. Stay standing with me, Will, if you will, please. I'm gonna read my text here in just a second, and uh, this will save you from having to go down and up all the time. Um, as you know, we are in our series, Love is a Battlefield. This is our last Sunday, because next week we're gonna be starting our March series, which, which consequently is called March Madness. Uh, don't worry, ladies, it has nothing to do with sports, but uh, I think you are gonna enjoy it. But today we're finishing up Love is a Battlefield, and uh, my text verse today is out of Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. These are the words of Jesus. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's a nice sobering verse to start off the day, amen? Uh, the title of my message today is The Battle for the Kingdom. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we thank you for this time that we have together today. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is what transforms us. It is what brings life. And God, we commit ourselves to you for these next few minutes. Would you do what only you can do in our hearts today? We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I won't ask you to stand again until I'm done. So I'm taking a little different uh, spin today on this series, taking a little bit of liberty um, and the, over the first three weeks, we talked about the tension in relationships, started off talking about our relationship with God, and then the second week was our relationship with ourselves in regard to the sin nature that's in us, and then last week we talked about our relationship with others and the battlefields and the tension that comes with that. Today, I want to talk to you about our relationship with the kingdom of heaven. So it's, it, in a sense, it's our relationship with God, but not so much the sin that's keeping us from him, but uh, kind of a focus on the kingdom itself and our relationship with the kingdom of God and what that looks like in our life. And it is a battle as we are relating and understanding the kingdom of God. So today I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to you about our, our knowledge, our focus, and our passion for the kingdom of God in life. And whether you know you're saved or whether you think you're saved, whether you hope you're saved or whether you don't think you're saved, this is for all of us today. And I wanna challenge you today to open your hearts and let the Lord speak to you. I'm, I'm kind of going this direction because I felt like the Lord was leading me this way, actually. I, I, uh, I scrapped my sermon yesterday afternoon at 2 o'clock. So, uh, I, you know, e either I'm just losing my mind or the Lord was leading me this way. Could be a little bit of both, but um, I, I feel like this is where the Lord had me go today. And um, I do believe it's for all of us because I think it's a, even for those of us that love Jesus, it's a really good reminder. You know, Peter talked about one of his letters about how what part of his goal was to continually remind us about the goodness of God, about, about the character of God, about the kingdom of God. So that's what we're going to be doing today. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in fact, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in fact, a lot of times he talked about it by starting by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. And you know, there's a lot of mystery about the kingdom of heaven. We don't know everything, right? We don't know everything about heaven. 
The Bible talks about it some, but you know, we, I think we'd probably all love it if there was a, a whole section of the Bible just devoted to talking about heaven. But frankly, I, I feel like the reason, one of the reasons there's not a lot of talk about it in the Word of God is there's probably not words in human language for us to really be able to understand a lot of what it's going to be like. I think it's better and more glorious than anything we could ever even comprehend in our finite minds. But sometimes Jesus would say things, and he would say the kingdom of heaven is like. And I've said this before, but anytime you see that in your Bible, if you're reading your Bible and you see it says the kingdom of heaven is like, you need to like slow down and really take that in because that's Jesus saying, listen, you can't understand it all, but I'm going to give you a little glimpse into some of the secrets about the kingdom. And so when he says that, it's important that we take notice because it is only a fool would never think about heaven, right? I'm not trying to insult us and call any of us fools. A fool just is someone that acts unwisely. But it would be foolish for us to never or even rarely think about heaven, yet that is actually a tendency of ours, to not think about it a whole lot, partly because we don't understand a lot about it, or maybe we don't, maybe it's something we can't see with our physical eyes, so it's out of sight, out of mind, so to speak, right? But it's so important that we take time and energy to focus on what heaven is like and, and what it's like about what it looks like on that day when we're going to be standing before Jesus face to face on that time when he comes back. You know, Jesus gave a parable about the 10 virgins and he said, you know, there's five, five of them had their lamps with full of oil and the other five had their lamps. They didn't have much oil in it and they ran out of oil while they were waiting for the bridegroom, which was Jesus. And he says that when the bridegroom finally came, the other five that didn't have oil ran out, so they ran to go get some more oil, and they actually missed it because they weren't prepared. They wanted to be with the bridegroom. They wanted to go to heaven, but they were not prepared, and so they missed it. And so it's important for us to be prepared for the kingdom. So what do we know about heaven? Well, we know it's very real. It's the place where God dwells. It's the most real place in all the universe or in all the universes, or in all creation, it is where God dwells. And so consequently, it's where we all would like to go one day. Amen? That's where we want to be. We also know you can't earn it. The Bible is clear that we inherit the kingdom of heaven. It is a gift that God gives us. It is a gift that we get by grace through faith in Jesus. Amen? Not something we can ever earn. But what my verse tells us today, my text verse that's sobering, is that also the thing we know about heaven is that not everyone is going there. That is of the utmost importance that we know this and understand this. You know, that concept is actually under attack today. There have been polls done. I read some polls this week because I was studying for this, actually yesterday, and I'm reading some things and I, I was a little surprised at some of the stuff I saw. There's polls out there that say, as much as half of all Americans believe that they are very sure that they're going to heaven. Now, you and I both know that it is nowhere near half of all Americans that profess faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Yet half, and another good percentage on top of that half, feel like they probably will, they're just not sure enough to say definitely. So that tells us that there, there's a lot of deception out there. That it's just, oh, we're just all going to go. Jesus just loves us all so much that somehow he's going to figure out a way that we're just all going to be able to go and be in heaven with him. But Jesus said very plainly in my text verse, he will say to some, I never knew you. Away from me. I never knew you away from me. 
And this is undoubtedly the most devastating phrase that Jesus could ever say to any one of us. And I could tell you the focus of my life is to make sure that he never says that to me. And it should be the focus of yours too. To make sure, let the person understand and know based on scripture, not on just, oh, I think, you know, it just makes sense to me that he's going to make sure I get there. But to really know that I 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 know that I'm going to be there. Now, listen, I'm not trying to overcomplicate this. It's not some weird formula that you have to figure out before you're actually going to go to heaven. Okay. This is not some fear mongering thing of saying, you know what, like all, you know, most of you don't even know. And good thing I'm up here to tell you about it. That's not what we're doing today. For a lot of us, we do get this and we understand this and we have made it the focus of our life to make sure that he doesn't say, I never knew you, but it's still a good reminder for us. If nothing else, it should give us a heart for those that we don't feel so confidently about that, that we would not be okay to just kind of let them to their vices, but that we would care about them enough to make sure that Jesus doesn't say that to them either on that day. That should matter to us as well. This is a very, very sobering verse. Because it tells me that there's going to be an element of surprise on that day. It says that some people are going to say, but Lord, how can this be happening to me? I prophesied in your name. I did miracles. I cast out demons. There's going to be people that are surprised that feel like they're pretty confident that they're going that aren't. And that should concern us. That should, that should give us a heart for evangelism. Give us a heart for the lost. Give us a heart for people that maybe are deceived. Because see, it's not just the really, really bad people that aren't going, like we like to think. Jesus said in there, these, some of these people are going to say, I did a lot of Christian things. I, I, I knew how to do the Christian culture thing. And he's going to say, I never knew you. That tells me that there's a lot of people in our churches on a Sunday morning in the United States and all over the world that feel like they're going to be able to, to go with Jesus that day. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Because there's definitely going to be an element of surprise. I don't want to be surprised. I can tell you that I'm 100% confident that I'm not going to be surprised because I studied my Bible. I've committed my life to Jesus. I've made it the focus of my life to live it for him, not just to say a prayer so that I can be saved and walk away, but to live my life for him. And that should be all of our hope and dream and desires that we would live in such a way. There is a battle going on to keep you out of the kingdom of God. We need to recognize this church. There is a battle going on to keep us out of the kingdom of God. There are battlefields. And one of these battlefields, I'm going to give you a few of them today. One of them is knowledge. The enemy loves nothing more than, have, than people saying, oh yeah, God's going to let me in. And they have no knowledge of the kingdom. Don't know the first thing about the kingdom of God, but they just convince themselves that God's going to let me in because that's what makes sense to me. That's exactly what the enemy wants. And that is a huge huge deception. We have to have knowledge of how the kingdom of heaven works. It's important. And this is always a tension because we, we can gain knowledge in so many other things, but if we get too much knowledge, it actually, the Bible tells us it puffs us up, right? So it's not just about knowledge, but it is good to have wisdom. It's good to have education. It's good to have knowledge, but those things sometimes can actually steer us away from the kingdom not necessarily towards the kingdom. And we have to know that the kingdom of God is not about who can be the smartest and the most intellectual. And everybody said, amen, amen. praise God. That, count me in. <laughs> it's not just about that. And the there's a tension there 
Because as we grow up, there's a, there's a desire there to have knowledge, but it doesn't always help us in our knowledge of the kingdom. Because see, the, the Bible tells us that to come to God, we actually have to do it as little children. In fact, let me read it in Mark 10. It gives us a little scenario here when Jesus was on the earth with his, with his disciples. It says, people were bringing their children to Jesus to have him touch them, but his disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was very angry. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's a sobering verse. The only way to enter into the kingdom of God is to do it as a little child. So how does that correlate with knowledge? Well, part of the knowledge is knowing that you have to do it like a little child. It's not about being smart enough, intellectual enough, having enough, having a big brain. It's not about any of those things. It's about understanding how the kingdom of God works. And if I'm honest, the idea of coming to God in the kingdom of God as a little child is challenging for me. Because as an adult, I like the parts about being an adult in the natural that are contrary to what it's like to be a little child. Nobody likes to see a childish adult, right? When we see a childish adult, what do we do? We make fun of them. You know, that person never grew up, right? But when it comes to our spiritual life, the spiritual application is that we approach our Heavenly Father as a child. And there are just a few, th a few thoughts I had about that that can be challenging for us. The first is that a child is totally dependent we like independence, right? We like to be independent. And our knowledge about the kingdom, what it does, instead of making us independent, the correct knowledge of the kingdom of heaven actually makes you more dependent on him. So it works in reverse than as it would in the world and on the earth. So we have to be dependent, but we like to be independent. A child is also totally trusting. You know, your child trusts the parents Blindly, whatever they say is good. You know, I mean, as long as they're little. Once they become teenagers, they know everything. But when they're, you know, <laughs> when they're little, they really trust us. A child is totally trusting, but we like trust to be earned. You know, if I'm going to trust you as a human, I, you got to earn my trust to a degree, right? But in the kingdom, it's not about it. Is, it has been earned already. God has proven Himself faithful long, long before any of us were ever born, right? So coming to him as a child is about trusting him, not having him, not making him earn it. And a child is totally peaceful. A child is always at peace, mostly because they trust. And see, we like to worry. Now, we don't call it worry. We call it concern because worry doesn't sound spiritual. Concern does. But at the end of the day, we like to worry because we feel like it makes us more responsible. Well, when you know what I know, you would be worried too. Right, And that's how we approach life, but as we approach the kingdom of heaven, when we, when we pursue the kingdom of heaven, it is about being peaceful. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. So when we understand it, when we have the knowledge of the kingdom, it will bring righteousness, peace, and joy into our lives. And can I tell you today, there is an ocean's worth of freedom that pours over us when we understand this. When we really understand what it looks like to, to uh, receive the kingdom of heaven as a child, 
It is the most freeing thing that you'll ever experience in your life. You know, because like I said, little kids have no worries. They just go through life. They just know food's going to be there for them. The bed's going to be ready for them. The house is going to be comfortable. They're going to get to where they need to go. They're going to be taken care of. Their health's going to be fine. Kids have no worries because they just blindly trust their parents. And that's exactly what the kingdom of God is like for us is we just blindly trust our God because of our understanding of who he is. Right? Now, that doesn't mean our health is always going to be perfect and everything's always going to be perfect for us, but it's, it's about a, a trusting in him and knowing that he's faithful even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of wars. He's always, always faithful to us, and we can trust him in that. That's where our knowledge is meant to take us. Another battle is for our focus. Did you know that there's a battle going on for your attention in the spirit? There's a battle going on for your attention in the spirit. We all know about the battle going on for our attention in the natural, right? My goodness, do we know about the battle going on for our attention? I read something this week that said uh, as many as four to 5,000 ads are put before us on a daily basis. I read one, one article that said 10,000. Now, I, I, the only way I can see that happening is if you literally live on a computer all day, but even 4,000, even 1,000, to think of every Thing that's trying to get your attention, trying to get your money, trying to get you to watch their show or come to their thing, thousands every day. Distractions galore, all over the place, right? There are so, we are living in the age of distraction. I, I mentioned in first service, it's kind of funny because, I mean, I can't remember the last time I turned off my phone. We just don't do it because there's something in us like, well, what if I turn it off? What if I miss something? <laughs> well, how did people survive 30 years ago? You know, how did we do it? It's really remarkable. There's a, but what the, the phone does and the computers do is just breeds more distraction in our life, right? We have to really be intentional to weed that distraction out of our life. But in the spirit, there's a war going on for your attention. The enemy loves nothing more than for us to be focused on things apart from or contrary to or just even indifferent to the kingdom of heaven. That's what your enemy is wanting. He wants you to be focused on the here and now. Got to focus on today, on, on what's hitting you right now. And, it, and his tactics work to a degree because you could say even in the church, there's somewhat of an epidemic of short-sightedness where we are just thinking about what's going on right now or what's going on in the near future. And I can prove it. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us, if you are of age and, are, and do drive, how many of you asked God not to come back before you drove a car? <laughs> I did it. I remember being 15, I remember where I was standing, I was like, God, please, please, Jesus, don't come back, I really wanna drive. Like, that's the pinnacle of life, right? And then once you drive, it just moves on to the next thing. Jesus, please don't come back till I get married, please. Oh, Jesus, please don't come back till I have a couple kids. Oh, now, Jesus, please don't come back till my kids are older so I can actually enjoy them. Right? <laughs> Jesus, please don't come back till I have grandkids, because grandkids are even more fun than regular kids. Now, don't come back till I can be retired for a few years. I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor, right? I mean, we just, it's just whatever phase of life you're in, it's just the next thing, right? And listen, I'm not, I'm in that boat too. I'm, I'm with all of us, but that is so out of focus. That is so short-sighted to think that driving a car is better than being in the presence of God in heaven. Like, what in the world are we thinking, right? It just proof that we have really incredibly small, teeny tiny brains, every one of us. But that's, that's allowing the enemy, and, and those, are, those are 
somewhat trivial things, but it, it goes into other areas of our life too. We're like, you know, we don't really concentrate or give much energy or thought to the kingdom of heaven because we just get dealing with so many things that are going on right here and right now. And we're just short-sighted in what we are looking at. And the enemy wants to distract us from that. And, you know, if we think about it, if we, if we read our Bible, we see in the word that when we actually stand before God, there's going to be some pretty incredible rewards that I just got a hunch are going to be a lot better than driving a Honda Accord around town, right? I just can't see anything, any car. I mean, even if it was a Lamborghini, I don't think it's going to be better than the rewards we're going to get, right? And just, you know, the Bible talks about judgments. There's two main major judgments that are going to happen. There's the, there's the great white throne judgment where people are, it's going to be determined if you're a Christian or not. Revelation 20 tells us, you know, he's going to open up the Lamb's book of life. And if your name's not in that book, those people will be cast into the lake of fire, you know, which is a very, that's a, that's a difficult verse to read, right? It's part of the reason so many people just want to believe that everybody's just going to go to heaven because the thought of God throwing people into a lake of fire is just unfathomable for us, right? But can I tell you today, it's a very real thing. You know, the, the lake of fire wasn't created for people. It was created for the devil and his demons. But if we reject Jesus in this life, there's no other option, right? So that is a very real thing. But praise God for those of us that are Christians, we're gonna, a lot of scholars think that we're not even gonna be at that judgment because we've already been declared righteous. But there's a second judgment. It's the judgment seat of Christ that Paul talks about in Corinthians. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, I'll read it. It says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So this is where we stand before Jesus. He looks at what we've done, and we get rewarded for the things that we've done well. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about you know, getting our rewards. And doesn't, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about what those rewards are. You know, We talk about getting a crown and things like that, and which, you know, for... Most of us were like, okay, big deal, but I can promise you, whatever, whatever the reward is, just being in the presence of God is a greater reward than anything we could ever experience on this earth. And we need to keep that in our mind. We need to, it's okay for us to think about heaven. It's okay to think about wanting to be with Jesus, right? Without necessarily completely resenting and rejecting our time here on earth, because this time is important too. But we need to have the mind of having an eternal perspective in our life. I've talked about this quite a bit. It's something I try to keep in front of me all the time, of having an eternal perspective. Because when we do that, when we look at everything in the light of eternity, and we understand that even suffering in this life can bring reward in heaven, then it makes whatever happens in this world somewhat trivial. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, doesn't affect us, but when we look at it in the light of eternity, to think, man, what do, if whatever I go through here that's challenging makes my eternity better, then okay. I'm not asking for it, but if it comes, I can, I can take it in stride because I can trust my God and know that his ways are so much higher, that he is sovereign and that he is good and that I can trust him even when I can't see what's happening. So our focus needs to be on the kingdom of heaven. And then the last one I want to give you, and I want to... I want to land on this one today and kind of finish with this. There's a battle for our passion. There's a battle for the things that we desire. And, and, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, what am I passionate about? You know, we're in church on a Sunday morning. We would all say, oh, I'm passionate about the kingdom of heaven. Sure. But 
if we're really, really honest with ourselves, what, what place does the kingdom of heaven have in our list of passions? Sometimes it can be down the list of ways. And can I tell you today, can I challenge you today that there doesn't need to be any passion in our life that is above the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Nothing should be above the kingdom of heaven. That, that it would permeate every area of our life. You know, we like to compartmentalize our life. That's just kind of how we're wired for the most part. Even, even people that are that kind of are chaotic and have everything jumbled up, we still compartmentalize things. You know, we got our, we got our job compartment here. That's kind of its own thing. We got school. If you're in school, you got that one. You got your family. You got your friend compartment. Then you have your, your hobby compartment. You have your faith compartment and your church compartment. You have all these compartments. The kingdom of heaven should permeate all of those departments, compartments in our life. There, there's no place. If your faith is compartmentalized in your life, you're actually missing one of the biggest points of the gospel. And that's not to shame us. We're not, I'm not here about shaming, but I am here to challenge and to remind us that this is something that should permeate every area of our life. And like, oh, does that mean I gotta go to work and preach to all my coworkers? No. But if you've been at the same place for five years and your coworkers don't even know that you love Jesus, I think you're missing something. There's opportunities to speak the love of God into situations in life, even at work. We can do that. If it's, you know, if it's our favorite football team and they just won the Super Bowl, man, I bet our coworkers are going to know that. Probably going to wear the shirt to let everybody know. And if they don't ask you, you kind of walk up and show them the shirt. You know? uh, excuse me, did you see this? Yeah, it's my team. They won. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're quick to express the things that we're passionate about in life. And the kingdom of God should be at the top of that list. There's a couple of reasons I think we're not passionate. One of the reasons is I don't think that sometimes we don't think that heaven's going to be all that fun. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Most, a lot of people, if you ask them what heaven is going to be like, you know what they typically say, and you probably said this too, it's just going to be a never-ending church service. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I love Sunday mornings, and I love coming to church, but a never-ending church service no way. No way. That's not what it is, guys. And even if it was, if we're in the presence of God, I don't think we're going to care what it is, right? There's definitely going to be worship. We're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be worshiping Jesus in heaven. But the, the idea that it's just not going to be as fun as getting married and having some kids and grandkids is ludicrous, right? We have to understand that. Don't believe the, the lies that would come into your head or the, the notions that heaven's just going to kind of be this place where, you know, oh, man... I, like, literally, I got to worship for a million years? Come on. I'm going to get tired. Huh? My voice isn't going to last that long. You know, It's not what it is. This is a place of indescribable beauty and glory that we get to experience being in the presence of God. Also, I think sometimes we don't think about it a whole lot or we, we're not passionate about it because really we have things pretty good here. Things are pretty good here on earth for us. I'm not saying we don't have our challenges and struggles, but you know, we tend to not think about other things when things we're involved in now are going okay, right? I mean, I don't think about my health much unless I don't feel good, right? I don't, I don't think about my air conditioner at my house unless it stops working, right? We don't think about death a whole lot unless we lose a loved one and we start thinking about death. If, I'm having a, if we're having a good day at work, we're probably not sitting around daydreaming about going home. But if we're having a bad day at work, all we can think about is going home and not being at that place, right? And see, the reason we're not so passionate about heaven 
is because we have things pretty good here. We're so blessed that sometimes it can actually work to our detriment when it comes to the kingdom of heaven in our life. And this is true in the church too. You know, the church, when it's, when it's persecuted, when there's tribulation in the church, there's much more of a focus on heaven. You see this even in the, the early church with the apostle Paul and Peter, both talked about heaven a good bit, about wanting to go there. You know, Paul said, man, I'm torn. I really wanna go be with Jesus, but I know it's better for you if I stay here. But he also said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is actually gain. To die is actually better. He had an understanding of the fact that being in heaven was gonna be better than anything this earth could ever give us. Now, granted, he had a little more advantage than us. The Bible tells us he actually got, he went into the third heaven. He, he had, a, he had a quite an experience of seeing heaven. But that's also why the Lord used him to write a good portion of our New Testament so that we could get his heart through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us. You see, Jesus gave this really great parable in uh, Matthew 13. It's a really short one. And it's again where he said the kingdom of heaven is like. It's just one verse, but it says so much in this verse. Matthew 13 and verse 44. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Very simple, quick parable that he gave. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And, and the thing about parables is that you can't always take every part of it literally. You have to look at the heart of it. Because if you take this literally, it'll, you'll, you'll think that, well, the, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure, and so this guy had to sell everything and go buy this treasure. Okay, you don't buy heaven. Okay, we don't buy our salvation. We don't buy our way into heaven. It's not what he's talking about here. What he's showing us here is that the kingdom of heaven, when we have an understanding of it and we really do find it, it's worth more to us than anything we could ever have. That if we had to give up everything to get it, it would still be a no-brainer. That it would be a happy trade-off for each and every one of us. For instance, if I, if I spoke to you today and I said, okay, every one of you here today, I, I, we took attendance, we got all your faces and names, we know who you are. I want you to go home, leave here, and get everything you own and bring it back and give it to me. The deed to your house, bring all your vehicles, sign over your 401ks, withdraw all your money out of your checking account, bring it to me, your computer, your phone, your car, your furniture, everything, bring it all to me. But when you do that, when you come back and give it to me, I will in turn give you $100 million. Now, unless you're worth $101 million, that's gonna be pretty awesome. You would, in your joy, go and give me everything you have because you realize what you're getting in return is so much better than what you're actually giving. That is what Jesus is saying here. The kingdom of heaven is like this treasure that even if it were to cost you every single thing you have, you could do it in joy because you know no matter what you get, whatever you give up, you're still getting the better end of the bargain. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the truth of the gospel. That is the truth of what Jesus did for us and what we get to experience and receive because of it. It is all about the heart. It's all about the heart. If you are, if you are bummed out because sometimes you have to make sacrifices for God, then you're not understanding the real treasure you actually have. You know, I, I, I've said it many times, I, I've, I've had a incredible blessing and opportunity to be in around 30 countries around the world doing missions work. Most of it missions, some of it was vacation. Paris wasn't missions, but that was 
I needed to go there, trust me, it was really great. Um, but I've been in a lot of developing nations, okay? And one thing I have noticed over and over and over again, the Christians in developing nations have a joy that American Christians can't even tap into. I shouldn't say can't. You don't see a lot of it. I have seen so much joy in Christians that are literally living in a canvas tent that is light years beyond what we as Americans live. It's not about what we have, okay? It's about understanding the treasure that we have in him. And so oftentimes we can get caught up in our personal stuff and we're not willing to lay it down or give it up because, well, I've worked hard for all of this. And so what, what we're really doing is we're missing out on the really great treasure. Now listen, I'm not here today saying God's telling you to sell all you have and give it all away. It's, it's not what's going on here. It's the heart behind it. Because see, in contrast to this parable, we see the story of the rich young ruler, okay? The rich young ruler is mentioned in a couple of the gospels and he came to Jesus and he said, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He wants the kingdom of heaven. What do I have to do to get it? And Jesus sees his heart right away. And he says to him, he says, well, you need to obey all the commandments. And the ruler says, oh, good, I've done that since I was a kid. What else do I need? And Jesus says, okay, I need you to give away, sell everything you have, and you give all the money away to the poor, and then come follow me. And it says that the guy went away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to do it. And what you're seeing here in this is the exact opposite of the parable of the guy that finds the treasure in the field. This rich young ruler was trying to buy his way into the kingdom. He was gonna be willing to make a little sacrifice. If Jesus would have said, well, you know what, give me 20% give me of what you have and I'll let you in, he would have probably done it. But he had it completely backwards. It's not about what we have trying to bring this into it to try to get the kingdom. It's about experiencing the treasure of the kingdom of heaven that brings joy into our life, which in turn will cause us to be willing and eager even to sacrifice. See, there's a progression here. There's a progression in this story, this parable. It's the treasure is found, it brings great joy, and in his joy, he sold all he had because he knew what he was getting. And we so often can get it backwards. We can so often do, go in such a way where we are sacrificing without a really great understanding of the treasure we have in Jesus. We're sacrificing, and when we get it backwards, church, it is incredibly detrimental. If you don't hear anything else I said today, hear this. It is so important that Jesus gave us this progression of finding the treasure, receiving the joy, and making the sacrifice. Because if we try to sacrifice because we think somehow that will bring us joy or that will bring us favor with God, what happens is if we make the sacrifice, whatever it is, time, money, possessions, hobbies, whatever it is, if we do it and we don't experience the joy we were hoping for, we become resentful. And people, many, many of people have walked away from God because they've got it backwards and they didn't experience what they were hoping to experience by making the sacrifice. The only way to really live out this life of faith, focusing our heart and our mind on the kingdom of heaven is about understanding first the treasure we have. He found the treasure first. You have to know the treasure you have in Jesus. You have to know it. If you don't, everything else is gonna get all jumbled up and messed up and you're gonna live in this constant roller coaster of frustration. Constant. Once you understand the treasure you have in your joy, you can do whatever God asks you to do. But man, do we get this backwards a lot. 
It is such a challenge for us. And it's, I would venture to say it's more of a challenge for us as the wealthy, rich, young ruler than it is for those that don't have a lot of their own stuff. See, when we read about this rich, young ruler, we like to think, you know, I even picture him as this guy that was just adorned in all this expensive clothing and jewelry, gold all over, and just had tons of money. You know, so much money was falling out of his pocket as he walked and he didn't even care. You know, just one of these, you know, what we would equivalent today to like a billionaire, you know, just tons of money. Can I tell you today, we are the rich young ruler. We're him. If you live in, in this country, you are him. Because what it is, and the way you know is because his wealth kept him from being willing to really lay it all down for Jesus. And see, our wealth makes it very hard for us to lay it all down for him. Makes it very hard. If you don't have anything, it's no big deal. If you're poor and all you have is the clothes on your back and some soup in the cabinets, it's not a big deal. But when we have all this stuff we've worked so hard for, it can be so difficult to really have our heart and mind and our, and our spirit fixed on the kingdom of heaven. And we need to make sure we are always, always mindful of this. Jesus said when the young ruler walked away and wasn't willing to do what he wanted him to do, look what Jesus said in Matthew 19. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say it's impossible, but he said it's very hard. Because there is an expectation for us as followers of Jesus. And I know this isn't like the popular, you know, you're good, I'm good, we're all good, hallelujah, Jesus loves us sermon. But I'm, I'm committed to the truth. And I believe that's why you guys are here too, because you want to know the truth. The truth of the matter is, it's difficult for us as wealthy people, and when I say wealthy, I'm talking about just living in the Western world people. Let's just put it that way. It is challenging for us to enter the kingdom of heaven, to even have our minds fixed on it because we can have our minds fixed on this. And he says it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's an interesting phrase there because if you take it literally, that would seem impossible. But the eye of a needle is actually a doorway in Israel. It's a, Joy was actually there and saw it. I, I've never been there, but it's like a door within a door. And to get your camel through that door, you have to dismount, you have to take everything off the camel and it's really hard for that camel to get through there. And he's saying it's harder for a camel to get through that or yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult for a camel to get through the eye of needle. That's how it is for Westerners to enter the kingdom of God. Not impossible, but we have to make sure that we are intentional and that we are fixing our heart and our mind on the kingdom of heaven, not on the kingdoms of this world. And it's not that we would give everything away, but it's that we would value the kingdom more than anything else in our life. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? And I will... I will close today. I want to pray for us. Thank you, Lord. I want to read one more verse for you. Matthew 6, verse 19. This is also the words of Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You could store up treasure in heaven. That's pretty cool. Where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is a principle that is across the board. That's not just a Christian principle. That is for all of us. Where we put our treasure is where our heart will be. Where you put your treasure is where your heart will go. If your treasure is in the stuff you have 
here, your comforts, your, your family, your friendships, your job, your career, your possessions. If your treasure is in that, that's where your heart's gonna go. But if your treasure is in the kingdom of God, if you find that treasure like that man did, you stumble upon it maybe, or you have found that treasure, that's where your heart will go. So we can know, it's an easy litmus test for us. We can know where our heart is by knowing where our treasure is. It's really easy. You can do it in two seconds. You can say, what, where's my treasure? And if it is anything other than the kingdom of God, then it's time for us to repent. It's time for us to come to God and ask him to help us. I'm thankful that our God does not condemn. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but it doesn't mean there's not conviction for those of us in Christ Jesus. In fact, we're the only ones that get convicted. We're the only ones that the Holy Spirit can really prompt to convict. And if he is in you, that's what he's doing in our life to keep us focused and fixated on him. So I wanna pray for us. You are, you are welcome, encouraged to come to the altar this morning if you'd like to pray on your own. But I am gonna pray for all of us too. I just encourage you to receive this. It's important that we respond to the word of God, whether it's coming up or if it's just in your chair today. But open your heart and receive this, this prayer today. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is life for our dry bones. As we sang today, you turned bones into armies. God, that's what we were. We were bones without you. Your word tells us that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we know that poor in spirit is really bankrupt. Lord, we know that we are bankrupt without you. No matter how much wealth we've accumulated, no matter how much family we have, no matter how much blessing we have in this world, we are bankrupt spiritually without you. Lord, we wanna recognize that because your word tells us that we're blessed if we recognize that we're bankrupt because it will draw us to you. Lord, help us to see today, remind us today that we have nothing without you. But with you, God, what a treasure. What an unbelievable eternity we have in store. I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to miss it, that we would focus our life on making sure that you will not say to us, I never knew you, but that you will say, well done, good and faithful servant, as we enter into your presence. God, we repent where we have focused on other treasures, where our heart has been in other places, Lord. God, we thank you today that when we turn to you, you always receive us without fail, that your grace is sufficient, that your forgiveness is secure, and it is assured. And we thank you for that today, Lord. Help us to walk for you, with you, and live for you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory, God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you today for the cross. We thank you for the cross, Lord. We thank you for the empty tomb, and we thank you for your spirit in us. Fill us today with your spirit, God. Fill us to overflowing that we would be your light, that we would be salt, that we would be your ambassadors to this earth. God, that our faith would not be compartmentalized, but it would permeate every area of our life, and that people that you bring in our life would be blessed to know us because of the spirit in us. We praise you for it, Lord. We love you. We bless you today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said,
Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yes, let's praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. What a wonderful God we serve.